Hey, y'all. Welcome to Pain in the Pod. Today, I'm going to chat with Dennis Cooper and Mark Minery, um, the host and producer of the podcast, Culpable. I don't know many people who haven't listened to Culpable, but if you haven't, you need to do that immediately. It is an amazing podcast. So if you haven't listened to it, I'm just going to give you the, the backstory, the premise of it. This podcast, it covers the unsolved murder of Christian Andriaco in Meridian, Mississippi in 2014. Christian was found dead from a single gunshot wound to the head. And after a very short, maybe 45 minute investigation by the cops, the police ruled his death a suicide, despite a lot of evidence that showed it was in fact a homicide. Dennis, as the host, investigates and shares this compelling story about the suspicious death and the questions that surround it, the grieving family's fight for injustice, and at the end, really a whole town's system that has gone awry as far as justice is concerned. So Dennis and Mark, welcome to Pain in the Pod. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So first, I really appreciate you guys coming on because I know that you've been super busy and it's an ongoing investigation. It's it's even though the podcast is technically over, it's not over. Uh, to me, I feel like it's just getting its second wind. So first, tell me how you first heard about this case, like the very first time you heard about the case and then how you decided to cover it. Yeah. So back in May of 2018, our sister company, which is Resonate Recordings, who specializes in post-production work, uh, they had a booth at uh, CrimeCon in Nashville, which is a convention where true crime podcasters uh, gather. And they were uh, – so our producer, Jacob, he was uh, approached by Ray Andriacchio, Christian's mom. Uh, he was approached by her niece, actually. And they were just kind of sharing his story with various people there. I believe at the time they kind of had it in their mind that maybe they would attempt to produce a podcast uh, de oh. detailing his story. And so they met him there and started the conversation and then went separate ways and uh, reconnected maybe about a month later. And at the time, uh, our company, Black Mountain Media, we had just kind of started and had a couple shows that we were sort of in the works on uh, and you know, they just put their trust in us and took a leap of faith. And we offered, hey, would you welcome the idea of us trying to take on your son's story as our first podcast under this production company? And they trust us with that. And the rest is history. And how did you hook up with um, Payne Lindsay's company, Tenderfoot TV? Yeah, so same way. Um uh, that was another relationship that had been built through uh, our other company, Resonant Recordings. Um, it, they did post-production work on Up and Vanished as well as some of their other shows. And so right. they had already formed a strong relationship there or we had with them. Um, so we knew that this was a story that needed a big audience and we know that they have that audience. And so uh, we pitched the idea to them. Uh, with the hopes that they'd consider partnering with us on it. And uh, they welcomed it in and we formed a partnership on this and it's uh, been great. So exactly how long have you been working on it? Was it since 2017? 20, it's longer than 2018, right? No, uh, it, that's that's about accurate. So it essentially got pitched, like I said, in May of 2018. I think it was about July. It was in July of 2018 that uh, Ray and I 
first spoke directly once it had been decided that I was going to essentially head up this project. So July 18 was really the start of it. So all said and done, it was, you know, a little over a year uh, of a project still ongoing, obviously. Yeah. And in the um, true crime podcast world, that's actually pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people like worked on something for three, four years. Yeah. No, it was, it was not that it, it, it it came together uh, fairly quickly, I would say Um, maybe even quicker than we had initially anticipated, but we had a good team on it and it came together um, and the time frame that we released and everything, it just made sense. Well, once you started working on the podcast, I mean, were you or Mark, you as well, were you able to do anything else (laughs) or you was just like you, you were overwhelmed by the whole situation? Yeah, I would, I would say yes and no. Um, So Dennis, Jacob and I, we actually have other jobs. So we run other companies. Uh, So this is this Black Mountain Media was formed uh, originally for us to do a side project and then kind of launch our company out of that. So uh, for instance, next year, we'll have multiple shows hopefully coming out um, under the Black mountain brand uh hopefully along with tenderfoot um but uh so you know we also have growing families you know dennis has another child on the way jacob has three kids i have five kids so we have pretty busy lives oh Um, my gracious so copable basically it absorbed our spare time uh it became our hobby it became our you know hangout time it became our thursday nights sunday nights until two in the morning time uh so it took a heavy toll on everybody really involved uh on our families on us but we felt like to get the story out there we needed to do it quick uh we wanted to get out there before, or especially just kind of why the true crime genre was building. And, um, and so we, you know, we, we thought it was a story that needed to be told and we were all willing to take the time to tell it. Um, and we were also really blessed to have a partner like Tenderfoot because they offered as much support as we would will, you know, we were willing to take. So they're really helpful in just giving us guidance and, um, you know, uh, hel- helping us, uh, tell the story, but just, you know, how to make a podcast, um, uh, especially in this genre. Wow. Well, so it's very interesting to me about CrimeCon because I feel like everything happens at CrimeCon. Um, so Ray's niece, which would have been Christian's cousin, I suppose, um, kind of started originally pitching the idea or telling the story. And from there, now you guys, neither one of you live in Mississippi, right? No, no, we both live in Kentucky. Along okay. With yeah, not too far. So, so once you decided, all right, the story is compelling and you got on the phone with Ray and then you met her in person after that, would you say, how, how involved were the Andriacchios in your like day to day, you know, what you said Thursday and Sunday, would you give her a recap once a week? Here's where we are. Cause I imagine as the, as the mother in the situation, she would be sort of dying to know every detail. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she is a uh, very, uh, detail oriented and um, obviously had poured years of her life into this before we ever got involved. You know, this happened in 2014 and we came in the mix in 2018. Um, So this had been, um, this had taken a toll on her and was an ongoing uh, fight that she had been fighting for years. So to put trust uh, and essentially these strangers to to tell her son's uh, story uh, in a compelling way 
uh, while also sticking to the facts. Um, it, it took a lot of trust on her. And so absolutely she was, she was engaged, uh, the whole way. And, um, a lot of things, uh, we just had to keep between ourselves and there had to be some level of trust, but, uh, for, I'd say, you know, six months of really heavy production, uh, there probably wasn't many days that went by that we weren't in communication with one another regarding something, whether it was something on the podcast or just something going on, uh, locally there, uh, or someone trying that we're trying to get in touch with or whatever. Uh, we definitely leaned heavily, uh, on her as even all this time spent on it. I will never, uh, know this or it'll never amount to what she's put into this. So she, she definitely played a big role in this. Oh my gosh. I mean, the amount of details that she had about, I called this person, we had this conversation or she recorded the conversation or she had the exact, I sent this person two emails that never wrote me back. I mean, she had, and, and you would assume that if it's your own child, you're going to be this way and you're going to be meticulous and you're trying to find out. But I don't know also if you're so struck by grief, how you're also then really juggling being your own private investigator. You know, I think that, uh, her role in it is is pretty astounding, like you're saying, as far as how much work she had done to even to as a jumping off point for for you guys. Um, did you guys get to spend a lot of time there in Mississippi? Because they're they're not they're not from Meridian. They're from the town right outside, right? Yeah, they're not far apart. Um, Dalewood's just kind of a uh, I'd say it's almost like a suburb, um, just, you know, 10, 15 minutes away. So, um, uh, in, Mer- in Meridian itself, uh, we were able to take a handful of trips. We do like three and four day recording trips down there. Um, mm. and part of it was, yeah, just trying to, uh, get time down there where we could all take time off from our other jobs. And then also, um, you know, coordinate time with, uh, a lot of people at once. So we'd schedule, you know, 10 hour, 12 hour recording days and just record record one after another after another. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, we also obviously took the trips with the investigators, uh, down there, uh, to do the audio work with them there. Oh my gosh. Uh, as a total sidebar, do you mind if I ask what your other jobs are or were, and are you still doing them? Uh, yeah. So, um, Dennis and I work for a telecommunication firm. Um, I, I, I own it and run it and, uh, Dennis runs our office and then we're involved with resonate recordings. Uh, I, I'm on the board. Um, and then Jacob, uh, runs resonate full-time, uh, as the president. And then we have just some other side businesses that we work with. Oh my gosh, you guys are busy. Okay, we're going to take a little break. And then when we come back, we're going to still be here with uh, Dennis and Mark from Culpable. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the case itself. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Okay, we're back uh, talking about the podcast Culpable. And I want to talk a little bit more about the story itself. And again, for my listeners who have not heard this podcast. I'll just tell you briefly. The The story is that uh, this guy, Christian Andreacchio, uh, 
shot himself in the head and is bounced slumped in a bathtub. Now, that's the suicide story. But there were so many, and admittedly by everybody involved, so many missteps that the cops just came in. Yeah, it's a suicide because the people there, um, Whitley and Dylan, were there. And Whitley never left. The, the girlfriend. And so it it, it definitely w- was like a stage scene or definitely wasn't enough blood or definitely the way the body was. All these things pointed to it was not a suicide, but the cops just said, um, okay, it's a suicide. Wrap it up. Let's go home. So to me, it was a no brainer, right? If somebody's committed suicide by shooting themselves in the head, as you come to the scene, you're going to see a gun right away that's fallen. You're going to see a lot of blood or just blood in general, but these are just like two of the thousands of inconsistencies that you found. So with all the missteps in the case, where did you, how did you go? Okay. This is step one, because at the end of this, by the end of this podcast, you go from step one to step like 2 million. So where did you, how did you decide where to start? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, well, as I said before, uh, Ray, uh, was a huge help to us throughout this. Uh, and I would argue uh, with the help of other experts, I mean, she has single-handedly uh, kept this thing alive. And so, you know, initially I'm on phone calls with her and she's laying out everything we laid out in the podcast, but instead of in, you know, 15, 45 minute episodes or whatever it is. This is all in 10 minutes on a phone call. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. So what, ha- <laughs> right. so what happened? Um, so early on you realize like, oh my gosh, there's a lot here. And then, so there kind of came a point in, in digesting what I could through phone conversations with her. It was like, okay, well, what do you actually have? Like, do we have, are we talking like you have reports here? Are there, you know, like what evidence is there? And, you know, Ray being Ray is like, oh yeah, I have that for you too. Bam. And all of a sudden we're inundated with, you know, hundreds of files that she's gathered over the year, including the police reports, including the MBI reports, including reports from, um, you know, forensic experts who worked on this case, et cetera. And so where did we start on that? <laughs> um, I think the first thing was just kind of making sure we understood the timeline of events conveniently. Ray also had created a timeline of events. <laughs> so the first was just kind of starting on, you know, say February 24th is kind of where we made our cut. So it, it, the crime happened. Uh, Christian died on February 26th. And so uh, it was kind of starting a couple of days before that and gathering what we know and then working through the day that it happened and making sure we understand that and then working on what's happened uh, since then. And a lot of time was spent studying the science because in this case, like the science really helps explain uh, what happened that day. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. The forensic expert you had on was fascinating. And then the guy that did the 3D scan of the room, like I didn't quite understand it at first, but then when you guys did later go to the apartment and you're describing how tiny it is and Sheila Wysocki, the investigator is there and saying, show me exactly where the couch was, you know, and, but the, the guy that did the 3D scan, I guess, is to make it so that, you know, to scale how tiny the room is, how many people, how many bodies could fit in that room. And then the bullet hole is here and the body is here. And, you know, this actually could not happen the way they said it because of the scale of the room or the people, you know, I found that it was like a completely new technology. And 
I was, I was, be, I was blown away by that. How did you find that guy? Well, luckily, you know, we were able to bring Sheila Waisaki and her team in to do this investigation. We had a previous relationship with Sheila because uh, her podcast, Without Warning, uh, the post-production work's done by Resonate, our other company. Mm -hmm. So when we uh, we, re we first reached out to Sheila uh, about the case, and she just didn't have time to do anything with it, but she did uh, kind of look over things and have some conversations with Ray and uh, gave some guidance, and it was really helpful. But she was the one who actually brought in Pharaoh. Um, and uh, the, the tool they used to scan the apartment, the inside, the outside, the bathroom. And it was fascinating. It just sits there and, and over, you know, 20 minutes of time takes millions of data points and and gets everything down to, you know, an eighth of an inch. Um, and so you, you then build a 3D model that you can kind of walk through and look around and spin around, which we actually have on our website. Um, we have the 3D model of the bathroom up now. Uh, and yeah, Sheila still works with them today. She um, she actually had uh, Alina from Pharaoh uh, on her most recent episode of Without Warning, uh, which they were talking about the Pharaoh machine and and the forensics behind it. That's really cool. Which well, I'm always learning new things on these podcasts. Um, so the two people that were in the apartment at the time, there may or may not have been more, but we don't know. But the two people that were there when the 911 call was made was Whitley, his girlfriend, uh, Christian's girlfriend, and Dylan, her friend. Now, these two just seem to kind of always be around. Uh, I don't seem to know any job that they had. It seems that they just sort of hung around and spent Christian's money. And after listening to the whole podcast, just from various people who knew them, it seems like Whitley, it, to me, it seems that she's in a compulsive liar or just maybe doesn't even know what the truth is. She seemed to be a very young girl. She was 17 at the time. She had kind of bounced around living with her boyfriend's parents. And then when they said they weren't going to do that anymore, then they, he got an apartment. She lived with them. It, it seems she'd been kicked out of her house. It seemed like she had some um, uh, substance issues. And again, she was 17. I mean, I just think about myself at 17, right. And I have a, a kid that's about to be 17. So, it's pretty shocking to think she's some, to me, that she's some mastermind behind this. Um, what do you think, or in your opinion, when the police immediately go into that apartment and they see him lying there, how can they take the word of these two kids saying, oh, he killed, he killed himself. And they're like, all right, that's a wrap. She, she lied. She had his cell phone in her purse and their stories changed, both of them, and they didn't exactly match. So why don't you think that, why do you think, that the police just said it's a wrap, it's a suicide. Because we, we do come later to know there's all sorts of uh, problems in the justice system and Meridian. But in that sort of knee-jerk reaction in that 45-minute investigation, why do you think that they took these two kids at their word? I wish I had an answer to that. I really wish I did. Um, and I hope eventually we'll get a better answer for that. Um, what we know is the... The chief of police at the time stepped in. They deemed it a, a suicide. Uh, and that was kind of a wrap. You know, what they had to go off of before police arrived on scene was uh, we later found out once we had acquired the 911 call that it was reported as a suicide as well. So they hear it's a suicide. Police respond. The chief steps in. No one has comment from him. So but the story goes that it was uh, called a suicide and that was end of story. Now, why they took that 
as good enough and it, it didn't elicit a further investigation? I don't know. They did go on to bring Whitley and Dylan uh, in for questioning. But when you dive into the police report and you read the line of questioning, you you quickly realize like their their minds were definitely made up or it sure, surely seems that way because they aren't, I, I say it I think multiple times on there because like, the best way of framing it is to say they weren't interrogated uh, or they weren't pressed uh, or they weren't asked tough questions. They were asked questions like, you know, has he ever talked about committing suicide? Um, you know, have you ever touched his gun? Uh, very, very simple questions, very short answers. It, it, it like when you look at it, it's weird because it just seems like they were just, it was just a checklist type of thing. Like, you know, we need to ask them a handful of questions and then they can go on their way. So I guess where I go to is if the decision had already been made that this was a suicide end of story, then say when Whitley doesn't hand Christian's phone over to authorities, you know, maybe in their mind, they're, they just, you know, were easy to blow over that and say, well, you know, she's young and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. there's some personal stuff on there that she wants to see. I, I, I'm, I take it that there was no red flag to them that or else there would, they were involved yeah, yeah. or else they're they're 100 percent should have been more questioning that followed that so so i, I don't know I, I don't have a good answer for why for why their actions that day uh didn't elicit a further investigation or at the least didn't elicit more questioning so you interviewed the paramedic and he said um yeah when i came in you know he was in this position of um you know, being rigid. And then when they like put him on the gurney to take him out, he was still in that position. So rigor mortis had set in. So that, you know, that means this timeline. And they also asked the paramedic about them saying that they had dropped him. And that's how he got a scratch on his nose. And he was very offended. He was like, no, we don't drop people. Like, this is what we do. The people, you know, the coroner's office and all these different people that came in. And then later we heard those released um, conference room, uh, recordings for, I think that was the investigator who said, you know, yeah, there was tons of mistakes made. And I always thought at the very least it was culpable, uh, homicide or culpable negligence just because earlier Christian had said, um, suicidal things and put the gun to his head and Dylan took the gun away from him, but later gave it back. So at the very least you've got that by Dylan's own admitting. So it just seems like, one misstep after another. And then once they were faced with it, they did all this. Nobody really cared except the Andriacchios, of course, who care because it's their child. Um, Whitley, I think obviously knows exactly what happened and was involved. Now, whether she is ever going to say, or anybody can believe her because she seems to lie a lot, like who knows, but Dylan, I have to say that when I heard him, um, his voice, when he was explaining what happened, I, you know, this could be the sucker in me. I don't know. I thought, well, it sounds like maybe what he's saying is true. And maybe he really has no idea. And he thinks the guy did kill himself. Now, when you guys went back to Meridian, he was very actively avoiding you, the investigators, he was avoiding the PIs. So now I don't trust Dylan either. So, <laughs> um, 
so let, let's talk about really quick uh, the investigative side. Okay. We're going to ask you a couple questions about this. Like I said, there's so many millions of things. So you brought in that whole team that Sheila Wysocki, the private investigator and her whole team, and they went to Key West. Did either one of you guys go to Key West or this was totally a Sheila production? Uh, no, Jacob actually went to Key West and uh, he's out of town right now. So he, you know, <laughs> unfortunately he's the only one out of our team that went. That, that's why we had hoped to get him on too, is because this was really a, a team effort all around. Yeah. And there was other people on our side and on Tenderfoot. I mean, Tenderfoot sent a, a producer down to Key West uh, along with Jacob. So, so he's the best to talk on that, but we listened to all the audio and we were on the phone with him the whole time he was there. So, you know, we were somewhat a part of it as well. Yeah, it was, um, that was like a real live, um, you know, cop show. I mean, that was crazy with all the recordings that they had of they're following this person and this person's going to try to cut this person. It was very exciting. Um, but I felt like they did such a great job in Key West by not only finding Whitley and all that, but talking to people that had lived with her saying that she is, you know, never tells the truth about anything. And she never even mentioned that she had this boyfriend that had, you know, committed suicide, much less that it could have been something else. And I, I don't know, this, this podcast took so many twists and turns that the Key West part of it almost could have been like a whole separate thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it was such a huge turn. So you guys went to Meridian, Key West, and you went, where does Jet live now? It was Matt, and he was in um, Colorado. Uh, I mean, Connecticut. I mean, sorry, Connecticut. Sorry. Okay. Matt Miller's in Connecticut. Yes. So, yeah. So, we went to, um, yeah, Key West. We had multiple trips to Key West. um, And then we had uh, four, I'm sorry, three investigative trips to Meridian and one to Connecticut. I think the PS went to Texas as well. They also did an interview outside of Texas. That's right. Yeah. They got around. Yeah. So, okay. So the, so the two, we're going to got to touch really quick on the cousins. So Jet was the person that hosted what they call gun night, which was people the night before Christian was killed. They say, some of them say that they all went out and shot guns. You interviewed other people who said that never even happened. And then you have Matt Miller saying that uh, Whitley never shot the gun. She always was with him. And then you have Jet saying, uh, she did, and then Matt later saying she didn't. So, do do you think gun night even happened, or is that was something they created? Hmm. Uh, hmm. I think, I think it happened. <laughs> I think they were all together the night of the twenty fifth. Um, do I think that that's what happened that night? That they went out in the field and shot guns? Maybe. Maybe not, though. Um, it's weird because, you know, when you backpedal, you realize like that only even came into the picture because that was part of Whitley's alibi for why she test was going to test positive for gunshot residue. Um, right. She immediately said, I'm going to test positive. I was shooting guns the night before. Uh, of course. Who, who would even think of that at the moment where your boyfriend has killed himself and slept over, slept over in a bathtub? I mean, who, wh- why would that be the first thing you would think of? Great, I mean, question. You know? great question. I mean, I, I'd like to think you just let it play out. And uh, if you, if for some reason you were to test positive, then you say something. Uh, it, it doesn't really take much researching to find out that that gunshot residue would not have remained on her hands from the night before uh, into the uh, evening of the 26th. Um, 
Right. It just doesn't. <laughs> so, and we go into all that, the, the technicalities on that um, and the science behind gunshot residue on the podcast. But, you know, it's interesting because that, that night only came into play because of that. Um, but then you start exploring it and no one can seem to land on the same story. And some people say she shot that night. Some people said she didn't. Um, Matt had one story and then it changed later down the road, uh, which, you know, is interesting because he's always been very upfront, um, and willing to talk to people. And, you know, I, I can understand that memories can kind of get, uh, twisted and, you know, you can remember something you didn't before or whatever it might be. So, yeah, it's really interesting. And then you keep digging deeper and you talk to to friends and acquaintances of, of them around that time. And, you know, they're under the assumption that that never even happened, like you said. So then that really throw, yeah. that really throws a wrench in the whole thing. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's evidence to show that they were together that night and something happened that night. How it plays into all this, uh, I wish I had an answer. But if it doesn't play a role in this, uh it's really strange that you can't land on the same story and that you can't just get the facts straight for that night or the fact that, you know, they were trying to hide people's identity from that night. Like if it had nothing to do with this, if this was a suicide, uh, then why is it so hard to get a clear answer on this night? Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're going to take a little break and I'm going to come right back with the guys from Culpable. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so I'm back with Mark and Dennis from Culpable. I have another question for you. Now, Jordan is Whitley's best friend. So you guys find Jordan in Key West. And she tells you some story that somewhere along the way, Whitley told her, but Whitley told a lot of stories, so you don't really know it's true, that she needed $2,000 to buy this uh, crystal meth that then she could turn it to $20,000 or something like that. So, and then of course, you know, uh, Christian was like, no, I'm not doing any of that. So to me, in addition to all these other theories and motives, this is another possible theory and motive that they were trying to get just a little bit of money from Christian. Dylan and Whitley were trying to get a little bit of money from Christian to sort of flip it around to make some money. And Christian was like, I'm not giving you this money. So then we have, the whole motive of Christian was, you know, insanely jealous of her and Matt Miller. So just, this is making me think about what you just said about gun night. Like now do we think gun night is a night that they all got together to plan how they were going to get Christian off the boat, get his money and then kill him. I mean, what, what do you think? Or do you, or do you guys think that uh, like the investigator said, he did actually shoot himself on that 
toilet, but it wasn't suicide. It was, he was wrestling with the gun with her. Yes. That's like six questions in one. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, yeah. So let's see to, to start a bit of that. So, um, Jordan's story. Jordan's so story about she, the meth. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, very interesting to hear that in her interview. And so that actually happened, uh, during the time of, uh, around the time of M- MBI's investigation into this, that she was, uh, interviewed, uh, by a woman named Gail. And so, uh, Ray had acquired that audio. Uh, and so we were able to listen to that. So that audio wasn't, uh, gathered in Key West. Now our investigators did spend time with Jordan and talk to her there. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. okay. uh, Florida is a two party state. And um, as much as she said she wanted to help and be helpful, she was uh, never willing to uh, go on the record. So we couldn't do a recording while we were there. But we did have her old interview, which is what we played, to go off of and which is why we were really, really interested in talking to her, especially seeing as she and Whitley were both in Meridian and now flash forward uh, five years and they're in Key West together. So so we definitely wanted to talk to her about that now. Recently, she's come out and made a statement that uh, she made all that up and that it's not true. And so that really muddies the waters there because, you know, at this point, I don't think you could really take anything she says as credible. Now, that said, oh God, the two the two of them together, I mean, the lies. I mean, it, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it, that said, it's an interesting theory and she's not the only one that shared that theory. And another interesting thing is when you, you mention that theory to people that ran in that group uh, or people that were um, in that scene of meth around the time uh, you, most people don't think it's far fetched. It seems like um, we spoke with a couple different, I guess you caught players in this people that knew people were close to them at the time of this. And not many people uh, really think that that's any sort of wild theory. So it's definitely something that we want to continue to explore. Um, but we don't, we don't know for sure if that factors into this or if that could have been uh, a motive for this. Okay. I have one more theory I'm going to throw out sure. and then I'm going to stop throwing out theories. Um, or maybe I won't. I don't that's know. But I, here's my other theory. So Hayes Mitchell was Bilbo's son. Correct. Okay. So Hayes was a guy that ran in that group and he has since died of a drug overdose. And by all of uh, accounts of people that, you know, knew him and were friendly with him, he was sort of, you know, obviously sort of a wild card. And there was lots and lots of stories of his dad getting him off of things that he had done, scrapes he'd gotten himself into, uh, whether it be DUI or, you know, these type things. So, you know, my theory is that Hayes somehow was involved in this and was there at the time that Christian died, whether accidentally or somebody killed him on purpose. Either way, he was killed and Hayes was there. And Hayes left and told Whitley what to do to clean it up, or he cleaned it up with that um, T-shirt that was found behind the toilet that was never tested, and called his dad and was like, this guy committed suicide. And that's how it came down from the top to the police. Now, that's my that's my final theory. What do you think? Um, 
that is a theory that I have heard many times. <laughs> I will say, yes. I will say that. Um, let me think. I would say we don't, we don't have anything concrete that can, uh, that can wipe out that theory. Um, oh, okay. Uh, so I, I'm, I find it intriguing that that is your theory. Um, it's so hard with, with, with Hayes because, you know, you'd love to just be able to talk to the guy and I, I hate it for his family uh, that they don't have him anymore. And you, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to f- like essentially drag them or drag him into this. Um, but when you have people that can say, he talked to me specifically about this, about intimate stuff related to this, you're kind of not left with much of a choice, but to bring him into this picture. Um, so yeah, he specifically, he specifically said, um, yeah, I was there. It wasn't supposed to go that way. You know? Yeah. It's also hard for us. Um, you know, we sit around and theorize nonstop, um, uh, in the office and just trying to figure out, okay, what could this be? And, uh, to make sure that we're kind of looking down every rabbit hole, um, but one of the things we did in the very beginning when we decided to tell the story is we made the assumption that the audience is intelligent and that we can present as much of the facts as we can and let them come to their conclusion if we don't come to a conclusion that's factual. So in other words, we held back on on putting out our theories on air. Um, and it's one of the things that we felt like we wanted to uh, allow the audience um, to kind of come up with and put the evidence together to, you know, in, until we actually uh, got something concrete that we could report. Yeah. Okay. All right. Tell me about the hundred thousand dollar reward. Yeah. So when we were um, getting down towards the end of the show uh, and uh, we, we were reflecting on how are we going to kind of end this, you know, um, the, the little secret is uh, the last episode. I think we wrote, recorded, uh, edited, mixed, mastered. Uh, we did everything in four days on the last episode. So we, we were in Gee. crunch. We were in crunch time towards the end because um, we're waiting on information to come in from the investigation. And so um, we were having certain we were having trouble with certain people within that kind of outer circle of the inner circle talking. Um, a lot of people are afraid. Um, they're afraid to speak up. And um, when they did talk to us off the record, uh, they would mention I mean, every time we talked to somebody, they would mention, you know, sex rings and gun trafficking and, um, you know, wow. drug rings and, and things we just heard over and over and over all the you know, there's all kinds of political corruption. And there's YouTube videos of, of talking about payoffs and everything else within this within this town. And so every time we talked to somebody, somebody had something to say of, oh, well, yeah, I've heard about the Christian case, but also this. And we're just like, what is going on here? And that's one of the reasons why we wanted the kind of the DOJ to come in and, and look at Meridian. Um, so we decided how, how can we get somebody to talk and to, to risk, you know, what, what, what's a number that's worth somebody risking, um, and coming forward. And so we talked to Tenderfoot and they said, yeah, we, we would like to put up half the reward if you guys want to. So we decided that we put up $50,000, each of our own money, um, $50,000 for any information that leads to an arrest and another $50,000 to any information that leads to a conviction. And so we, we wanted to, I mean, this has become, uh, something that we've been, 
uh, you know, heavily involved in in the last year. And uh, we love the family. We want to see justice for Christian. We want to see closure for Ray. And, um, and, and it's also important to us that, you know, Ray's out there fighting. So this doesn't happen to another mother. Um, that's one of her things is she, she wants, uh, she wants things to change in her town and in her state. So other people don't have to, um, they, they don't have to face the, the roadblocks that she's had to face. So we thought that that would hopefully be enough money to, uh, change someone's lives to risk coming forward in some way or fashion. Yeah. You know, a person that seemed to have all the information was willing to give it to you was, um, Travis, another guy in the circle, and he reached out to you guys from jail and said, uh, or he reached out to the PI and said, if you'll just like pay my bail, I'll make it worth your while. Like I'll tell you everything. But by the time he got the letter and he, and he got to someone else had already bailed him out. So it's like all these little um, missed opportunities. And then since then, Travis won't talk. So you wonder who bailed him out and who paid him so he wouldn't talk, you know, because somebody like Travis could use $100,000. Yeah, absolutely. I think somebody like that, I hope, I would hope somebody like that will come forward. Now, Sheila Wysocki has taken over the case as far as the podcast goes. Is that right? It's sort of like a continuation over on Without Warning. Yeah, yeah. So we we decided to make this 15 episodes. Obviously, we did some bonus episodes as well, some Q&As and some roundtable discussions. So I don't know how many it came out to be total. But yeah, so... Uh, we told the story that we wanted to tell. Uh, we are still uh, involved and pursuing leads. Um, and, you know, there's an upcoming um, election and, you know, hopefully some support on the way from the DOJ. Um, we'll see. So there's a lot of moving pieces right now. And so since we were stepping out and are going to look to uh, maybe some future projects and try to work that in <laughs> to our schedule, which we talked to you about earlier. Uh, you know, Sheila graciously stepped in and said, well, Hey, there's still a lot of traction here. There's still a lot of people talking about this. There's still a lot of stuff going on. Uh, she has her own platform with, without warning. Uh, yes. and so she, uh, is doing some episodes, um, lead, uh, you know, she started what, whatever that was maybe uh, a month ago and we'll continue to release, uh, episodes, uh, covering this case as well on there. So definitely go check that out. That's pretty, that's amazing. Yeah. So now I love to talk about podcasts, but we've talked so long now. Um, but quickly, do you ever have time with all your children and all your jobs to listen to podcasts? And if you do, are you like only doing like humorous things because you're so bogged down yeah. in murder? Uh, yeah. So the last year, uh, I have not listened to very many podcasts, um, but before we started this project and since then, I've been trying to get back into that more and start listening uh, to some. So, yes, we do. Now, I uh, I stay mostly in the true crime genre just because it's always kind of been a passion for me and which is why I was really eager to take on this project when it came to us. Um, so... Yeah, but we do. I do spend some time listening to podcasts more now that we're out of production on Culpable. And what about you, Mark? Uh, I'm a podcast junkie, so I listen to oh. four or five hours of podcasts probably a day. So while I'm at work, uh, while I'm driving, you know, any of those things, there's a podcast always on. I go to bed listening to Joe Rogan pretty much every night. So you know, <laughs> I, I just I'm there's always noise in my ears if I'm still and I'm not at home. Um, there's something playing. So. Um, 
I, I guess for me, like the ones I listen to religiously are probably things like we listen to things like Planet Money on the way to school with my kids. You know, they love that show. And I'm a big fan of the reply alls and like how I built this, those types of shows. But in the true crime genre, um, up and vanished, you know, the, anything that Tenderfoot's yeah. done, live and die in LA, um, A, they're customers, customers of ours, but also they're partners of ours. And we, that's, I mean, we were fans before we got to do work with them. We were starstruck when we start to get, you know, we started to, to work with them. Um, but the pinnacle of podcasting probably for me is shows like S town. You know, we, we, yes. we got mentioned one time, uh, in like a tweet with S town in the same line. And, uh, you know, I think they were just talking about our opening theme song <laughs> and, and for Ooh. us, that was like the pinnacle, like, Hey, we, we got named with S town. Like that's all I had to met, you know, it's on print right there. So, uh, <laughs> anything like that's that, amazing. I'll probably, a lot of probably mentioned that one on here before S town. No, really? not a lot. Are you kidding really, me? Not, oh my gosh. I loved S-Town. Well, shout out to I've S-Town. To, I've listened to it like five times. It is literally I've the tried, best. Po- it's the it's the peak of podcast storytelling I've for tried us. to get him on my podcast. Oh, man. And recently I went to search, like, what did he say when I asked? And it was that he's moved on to other projects. And I'm like, isn't that amazing? And that podcast is still like top 10 yeah. and it's been out for years. Yeah. It's so good. It's a testament to what it is. I mean, the storytelling in it. Um, the story itself, the the quality of the production, um, all things that we wanted to strive for on Culpable. Uh, so definitely admire that. Uh, so we got re- recently mentioned in a, a tweet uh, about uh, they mentioned us and they mentioned uh, Bear Brook, which was not a podcast mm-hmm. I listened to before. So I just started that. So don't spoil anything if you listen to it. I'm only like halfway through. Oh, it, let but... me tell you. Let me tell you who did it. Okay, <laughs> that's another really good one too. Um, yeah, the J- I think Jason Moon is the guy that that does that. Uh, really, really like his uh, writing style, and the case uh, is bizarre. So I'm excited to keep listening to that one. I'm sure I'll finish it in the next week. Um, yeah. So that if that was me, I'd be like, it sounds like you're the same way, Mark. I'd be like, oh, I'll sure I'll finish that today. <laughs> not not the next week. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, is there going to be a season two of Culpable? And is it going to be a, a, a different case? Will you continue to do Culpable with different cases? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely went into it with uh, the mindset that it, it was something that could run multiple seasons. And we definitely wanted to pick a title that could uh, cover many different stories that are out there. So we definitely went into that with that mindset. Um, we don't have any other stories picked out for another season, and it's not something we start production on. Uh, we've kind of just been trying to take some collective breaths uh, over the last month, uh, just as we've quote unquote reached the finish line of production on Culpable. Mark always jokes that, yeah, when somebody asks him, he says, Culpable season two coming 2024. Uh, so, but no, I mean, that's, that was definitely the plan, uh, going into it. Um, I can't say for sure, but, but yeah, hopefully that's, hopefully that's on the horizon. Um, we got plenty of other projects though, that we're, um, already kind of starting to, uh, work on at least the, uh, initial steps on them and stuff. So, uh, whether it's culpable or something else, there's, uh, definitely some more Black Mountain Media projects and, and, uh, maybe even some more Black Mountain Media Tinderfoot projects in the future. Well, I was going to ask you if you have any upcoming things you want to plug. 
Uh, oh man, I wish we did. Uh, or not, not yet. Almost man. A part of me, like, like, <laughs> had you reached out like a month from now, I'd like to think we could be, uh, go ahead and spoil in some of those, but no, I mean, there's, uh, there's definitely some, some stuff, uh, in the works, uh, nothing completely concrete yet, but, but, uh, there's probably, there'll, there will be some projects this, this next year for sure. We'll just say this. We have outlines and pitch decks, uh, those types of things done. So we, we don't have any uh, finished products ready to go, but we have quite a lot that we're working on. Okay. Well, you'll have to keep me posted so you can come back. I will say we, 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 uh, it'll be true crime. Um, we've we've met okay. ourselves and decided that we want to um, continue to, to – we want to remain in that that realm. So Okay. Well, tell all my listeners where they can find out about Culpable. Yeah. So Copable, you can go to our website at copablepodcast.com. Uh, We're also on social media at Copable Podcast um, on all the different social media platforms. And uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast. Is that what it's called? Or, yeah. Is that what it's called? I don't even know. It's Google Player. I never know. What, I don't know what the yeah, Google one's called. Uh, Me anywhere else you listen. Like Google. Yeah. yeah, anywhere else you listen to podcasts that Megaphone will put it on, it's on there. You should be able to find us no matter the platform. That's what our hopes is. Yeah, I'm always like, it's the Google thing. I don't know. My husband has a phone that has it on Google, and he's like, where do I find podcasts? I'm like, I don't know about your Google machine. I only know about Apple. Well, I will I will uh, tell you guys that you have an amazing website. It's uh, very thorough, and you've got lots of things there, like transcripts and all that. And also, uh, like whoever mentioned your music, I do really love your opening music as well. Yeah, we got really lucky. Uh, we have a really good friend, uh, Neil DeGrade with Dirt Poor Robbins. And we reached out to him and said, look, we've been listening to a bunch of the True Crime podcasts that come out lately. And we hear the same songs in all these podcasts. And so they feel like they're just buying them off of sites. Um, mm-hmm. Can you write original music for everything? And so he said, absolutely. So he wrote all the stems, wrote the theme song, uh, gave us a catalog to use uh, to score with. And then um, we also uh, have, have a really talented um partnership with um uh with um um Mavs over at Tenderfoot and um they they also did some work for us as well. So we yeah, we were really blessed to have those relationships. That's awesome. Well for anybody that can't tell listening to me, I loved culpable. And again, this is a a deep dive into culpable. And so that's really for a lot of people that have listened, but if for any reason you haven't listened to Culpable, I didn't spoil too much. You need to Go and listen to it and then listen to it again like I did. I mean, you'll even hear things you didn't hear the first time. So I want to thank you guys so much for joining me today. I've been working to get you guys on. and I'm so glad you were both able to come. And maybe next time on your next project, I'll have Jacob too. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we know we appreciate the opportunity. And thanks for the great feedback on the show. We really appreciate that. And uh, thanks for having us on. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, We'd love to come back. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.